My name is Keith Beavers, and being part of Generation X, coming over the internet, I feel like I'm a little bit savvy on this stuff, you know? But man, I just cannot understand TikTok. How do you edit this stuff, TikTok? I just, you know what? I'll just stick with Instagram. I do everything in stories, at Keith. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 9 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. Oh, that's right. My name is Keith Beavers, and I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair. How are you guys doing today? You know, what does a blend really mean? You know, you hear it a lot. This is a wonderful blend. What, what does that mean? What do we do? What happens when we blend and make a wine that's a blend? And what's this varietal wine? What does that mean? Let's get into this stuff. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Apothic Wine. From rich red blends to an alluring white and rosé with dark secrets. Apothic makes wines that are anything but ordinary. Ignite your curiosity with Apothic Red, an intriguing blend that launched the Apothic legacy. There's a sly, roguish wink in every one of our bottles. (laughs) Because we think good wine, like a good time, should mix things up a little... Bold nights call for rebellious wine. Apothic Red, there's mischief in the making. In 1985, while a group of kids from Hawkins, Indiana were fighting a mind flare, the forensic science community developed this new technology called DNA profiling. And all throughout the 90s, it was really great. People that were wrongly imprisoned were released through DNA profiling. And I promise, this is not a true crime podcast or like a stranger things podcast (laughs) but the cool thing about this technology is the wine world looked at it and said we can use this so in 1993 australian ampelographers ampelographer basically just means like a wine grape detective trying to figure out the origins and the provenance of grapes and stuff like that they started applying this dna profiling to grapes and varieties called but they're called cultivars a variety is called a cultivar and started finding the origins of these grapes for the first time in a long time. This is where we found out like where Zinfandel is from, where the origins of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and all this kind of stuff. It was a fascinating time. And by 1997, Carol Meredith and John Bowers of uh, University of California, Davis, were using the, te- the technology as well in partnership with the Australian ampelographers. And they just found a slew of origins for grapes. And this, was a, this was a really big moment in wine. It was a time when we had places in the world that had vineyards of grapes that may have had two or three different varieties in them that we didn't know. But now we did. And the reason I'm saying this is because this is one of the things that happened in modern times that helped us understand what was in our vineyards. There was a time in Chile when they were growing a grape called Carmenere um, and just bottling it and calling it Carmenere, the grape. But it turns out through this DNA profiling that a lot of the vineyards that said that were Carmenere were actually a vineyards of both Carmenere and Merlot mixed in. And so they, started an, uh, they began an effort to kind of separate these varieties. And this happened everywhere. It happened in Italy. It happened in Spain. So, and this is, it's going on still to this day. The, the DNA profiling of grapes and cultivars is still, a, it's an active thing. Actually, uh, uh, Jedi wine master Jancis Robinson and Hugh Johnson 
have a book out called Wine Grapes, which uses this, this information to document the origins of all the grapes that we know of. And this is just a really cool indication of the progression of wine knowledge throughout history, from antiquity to the Middle Ages, from the Middle Ages to modern times. So if you think about it, really, blending has been around since wine itself. So blending is nothing new. It's actually the thing that was happening before we had non-blends. And even if we have a non-blend, it's often a blend. Oh my God, Keith, that's crazy. Over time, blends were basically out of accident and necessity, meaning like because we didn't have the technology, because we didn't know what these grapes were, there were just vineyards that had multiple varieties in them. These are called field blends. And there's actually wines that are famous to this day as field blends. There's a really interesting wine called Gemisterschatz in Austria that can have up to 13 or 14 varieties, maybe 17 varieties in the white wine. And it's this beautiful, refreshing stuff, but it's always a field blend. And sometimes throughout history, blends were out of necessity uh, to increase volume, so to meet uh, supply and demand. For example, one of the most famous would be the Chianti region, that at some point were blending up to 20% of white wine into their red blends to increase volume to meet the demand of the popularity of the wine. But the magic, the romance, the beauty of a wine blend is in its creativity and its ability to secure legacies for certain winemakers throughout generations. One of the reasons why appellations are in place in Europe are to secure these blends, secure these ideas, so that they never divert and keeps that legacy going for years and years. Going back to Chianti really quick, before the laws were put into place in Chianti for how wine should be made, there were blends. And they were made from all different native grapes that are in the, in the Chianti Hills with names like Sangiovese, Colorino, Ciliegiolo, Mamolo, Canaiolo, Malvasia, and Malvasia Nera. That's what a Chianti was, a blend of all those grapes in whatever proportions anybody wants. It wasn't until a law was put into place and there was an agreement that they thought Sangiovese was the best, so there's more of that in the blend, and now it's a law, and you have to do this to make it a Chianti and that. But before it was a specific blend, it was a blend of whatever. And in California, in the United States, and much of the New World, there's a law that states that if you say that your wine is this grape, made from this grape, it only has to be 75% of that grape. So 75% of that wine could be Merlot from different vineyards, and then the rest could be, I don't know, Syrah, whatever you want. So that's one big blend. But we call them varietal wines, which I'm going to get to. Ideally, what a good blend should be is a sum that is greater than its parts. Winemakers are extremely creative people. They want to give you something that they've put together and built that defines them. And sometimes a blend is the way to do that. It's kind of like a chef. You get a bunch of ingredients in different proportions, you put them together, you serve it to somebody, and that person enjoys the sum that is greater than the parts. They're not just tasting salt, they're not just tasting garlic, they're tasting the sum of it all. It's very much what a blend is. And as much as a chef loves to make a dish, so too do winemakers. I've been in the wine game for a long time, I've talked to a lot of winemakers, and one of the things that's constant is their how much fun they have blending wine. The, the Making wine is such hard work 
that about six months after harvest, they get to go and t- go to all those barrels, put all these wines into a lab and taste and blend and try all different kinds of proportions to get the blend for that year. Because that's the beauty of nature. Nature gives you whatever it gives you. And sometimes the blend changes every year because nature. So one of the reasons why a lot of wines from Europe will not have the blend breakdown on the back of their label is because sometimes that blend changes every year, but also they're basically saying, look, you're not drinking my blend, you're drinking my wine. It's like a chef saying, you're not eating just a half tablespoon of paprika, a half tablespoon of salt, a little bit of lemon juice, all this. You're eating the culmination of what I've done. And this feeds into some of the definition of terroir. It's like, this is not, we're not, the proportions of the varieties in this blender are not as important as me expressing my sense of place to you. Now, I understand when you get into wine, it gets really, you get really geeky. I do. And I want to know the proportions of the things because I want to know where the Cab Franc is and where the Merlot is and the soft suppleness of the Merlot counteracts the peppery notes of the Cabernet Cab Franc. And I want to know all that, but you don't always have to know that. You can just enjoy a wine for what it is. And here's how a blend works out. Let's say the winemaker has um, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Petit Verdot. And they find that the Merlot is just like so good. It has nice, supple fruit it's, it's a great, it's great. The only problem is it's, it's got a little bit too much acidity. There was a little bit more, a little more rain than usual that year, and the, the, the grape retained a little bit too much acidity. But the winemaker knows that they want the Merlot to be the base of the blend. They just know it because of that beautiful suppleness. So the wines from Merlot are soft, right? And because there was a lot of rain this year, the Cabernet Sauvignon this winemaker has is like, it's good. It has a high acid, but man, it has some serious tannin. The tannin structure in this wine is real. So he doesn't want to put a lot of it, but he does need that structure to help out that Merlot. So what he decides is, I know that it's going to be a majority of Merlot. I'm going to put just a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon with that Merlot to make up for that high acid and to kind of bring a little more structure to the wine. You see what's happening here? So now we have the Merlot, soft, supple, high acid, good berry fruit. And then we have the Cabernet Sauvignon coming in here to kind of like, whoa, okay, now we're focusing this wine. The acidity has been matched by this sort of tannic structure. There's also going to be some fruit there, but there's like a little bit of a peppery note here. So like now it's really kind of filling out a little bit, but because of the rainy season, the color of this wine, it needs some more color. And Petit Verdot is a really kind of dark inky wine. Remember we talked about anthocyanin in the red wine making episode? It has a lot of that anthocyanin. It's heavily pigmented. It's kind of dense. So you add a little bit of that to that blend and you have the suppleness of the Merlot. You have sort of the austerity and the pepperiness and the structure of the Cabernet Sauvignon coming in. And that also adds a little bit of fruit. And then you have the the Petit Verdot come in with this kind of dark inkiness and also a little more weight to the wine. And that, to this winemaker, is that year's blend. It has everything in all the proportions that that winemaker wants to show the market and the world in your palate that year. Now, next year, if it's a little bit too warm and there's not a lot of rain, things change. And that winemaker will still use the same three varieties, but probably in different proportions. And that's how blending works. Now, let's say there's a winemaker in Willamette Valley, Oregon, where Pinot Noir is everything. 
So this winemaker has three vineyards of Pinot Noir uh, in three different sites, in three different areas of the Willamette Valley, three different kinds of soil composition, three different kinds of everything. It's, they're all very different from each other. The first vineyard produces probably some of the best Pinot Noir that this winemaker's had. It's almost there. It's so close. This was such a good year. It was so close. It was almost perfect. But just like our previous winemaker, this was so perfect, but it just had a little bit too much acidity. Just enough that this winemaker believes they just they need to put a little more plushness into it because Pinot Noir wants to be chewy. So they have the second vineyard, and they look at this, this wine, and oh my gosh, this particular vineyard in the lower elevation maybe, wow, it had a little more heft to it. This is a nice, luscious Pinot Noir, but it's kind of big, and this is a Pinot Noir that would go really well blended with that other Pinot Noir that was almost perfect with that really high acidity. So the winemaker blends a little bit of that hefty Pinot Noir with the high acid Pinot Noir, and they're starting to flesh out a blend. They're starting to kind of like round off the differences and make something cohesive. But it needs some aromatics. And it just so happens that third vineyard, even though it has luscious, beautiful, bright berry fruit like the other Pinot Noirs, it really has a lot of aromatics this year. Just all the cherries and all the amazing stuff that comes with Pinot Noir is very prominent in this particular wine. So even though the blend this winemaker already has with these two vineyards is just fine, this is where the creativeness can come in. The winemaker's like, you know what, I do, if I just had a little more aromatics to this blend, it would really make this wine sing. So the winemaker will blend a little bit of that into the wine and that's their blend. Again, it could change next year and so can the blend. So that's how this stuff works. Now, not everything's a blend, but the cool thing is these days we get to see on the label whether it's not a blend or not. If you see the words single vineyard, you know that wine is made from one vineyard. And these days, if it's one vineyard, it's one variety in that vineyard. So you know you're getting a wine made from one grape. Outside of single vineyard, you don't really know. If it says a state bottled, a state made, it could still be a blend. They just don't have to tell you by law whether it's a blend or not. And if you want to know, you got to go on the website, talk to the wine merchant, who knows. And for us that want to know what's inside the blend, like how do you, what is it? What is it? It's never going to get easy because winemakers to this day, they still don't want to let you know. Even even in the new world, you'll, you'll drink a Cabernet Sauvignon and it, it'll, you think you're drinking a Cabernet Sauvignon. Nowhere on the label will it say it has a little bit of Syrah in it. You're going to have to figure that out through either the person you're buying the wine from, the, the merchant, or going onto the website of the of, of the, um, of the of the winemaker because this this idea winemakers love the idea of like you're not drinking my blend you're drinking my wine so that's kind of how that works out but again I'm a geek I want to know the proportions and I'm sure at some point you will too so that's how blends work but this is really interesting there is a term that has emerged in the American wine drinking culture called the red blend it's a it's fascinating stuff so we just talked about how blending works. And a red blend, when you see a red blend, it's, you know, this term is being used right now, it's just a red blend. But it's a little bit more than that. You see, there was a time in the United States where we were obsessed with the Bordeaux blends, you know, the, 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 the Bordeaux varieties being grown in California, made into these Bordeaux blends. But we didn't really call them Bordeaux blends, and we couldn't. We called them something like meritage, which is a word that kind of doesn't, isn't really used anymore. So what red blend is is sort of the United States um, 
answer to what this stuff is because at some point winemakers went beyond just the Bordeaux varieties and started just playing around with whatever. And when you get into whatever land, you got to find a name for it at some point. And, and we did. It was called a red blend. So a red blend is a blend like anything else, but it's our word in the United States, our term used to be like, it's, a, it's just a very cool experimental blend, which is very much American, which is awesome. Now, remember when I was talking earlier about the California wine with the rule, the 75% rule, you can do whatever you want? That's technically a blend. But because we have this red blend term that's emerging in our wine drinking culture, we now refer to wines that just have the name of a varietal on the label, a varietal wine. So if a wine says Cabernet Sauvignon, but the winemaker puts a little bit of Syrah in there, but it's 75% Cabernet Sauvignon, that's a varietal wine. So now, nowadays, varietal wines are a term used to actually differentiate from the red blends. It's cool. We're, we're evolving as a drinking culture, guys. I, I love it. I mean, these aren't in law, so there's no red blend rules. But, and there's no, there's no rules to call a wine a varietal wine. But what's cool is we have a varietal wine as a term that we can use for wines that have the name of the varietal in the bottle, even though it might be a little bit of a, little bit of a blend. But then we have this awesome term that just is a very experimental do whatever you want. So these aren't laws, these aren't rules, but they're just really cool terms that are emerging in our drinking culture that help us differentiate one thing from another because it's cool, it's American wine. And I mean, other countries are calling, red, they're, they're having red blends. I mean, in, in Argentina, they have wines that are red blends. But this term red blend is really coming out of the American drinking culture. It's awesome. So there you go, guys. That's why a blend is a blend and that's why the red blend is not just a trend. Oh my God, I just did that. You guys know what I'm talking about. I can't wait for next week. If you're digging what I'm doing and picking up what I'm putting down, go ahead and give me a rating on iTunes or if you like to type, maybe even a review. Tell your friends to subscribe so we can get this thing all the way up so everybody can learn about wine. Check me out on Instagram. It's at VinePairKeith. I do all my stuff and stories. And also, you've got to follow VinePair on Instagram, which is at Vine Pair. And don't forget to listen to the Vine Pair podcast, which is hosted by Erica, Adam, and Zach. It's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week. Now for some credits. How about that? Wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mellon. I also want to thank Daniel Grinberg for making the most legit Wine 101 logo. And I gotta thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I wanna thank the Vine Pear staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Apothic Wine. From rich red blends to an alluring white rose with dark secrets, Apothic makes wines that are anything but ordinary. Ignite your curiosity. Apothic Red, an intriguing blend that launched the Apothic legacy. There's a sly, roguish wink in every one of our bottles. Because we think good wine, like a good time, should mix things up a little. Bold nights call for rebellious wine. Apothic wine. There's mischief in the making.